0: You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Yeah, I want, to, I want to speak this morning out of Numbers chapter 13. And I'm not sure whether I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to go over time. I'm, I'm endeavouring to stay within the time frame that I have today. Um, so I may continue this next Sunday morning because I am speaking again next Sunday. But I want to read to you from Numbers 13. I want to talk to you today about giants. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, we read, they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Moses sent 12 spies, remember, into the land. They were on the brink of going in and possessing what God had promised them. And he sends 12 spies in to check out the land Now they departed and came back to Moses after 40 days and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Remember, they had to carry the bunch of grapes on the pole. They were so big. They were so lush. They were so... Uh, amazing to behold that they carried this bunch of grapes just back to say here's the fruit this place is as good as God said it was nevertheless they said the people who dwell in the land are strong the cities are fortified and are very large moreover we saw the descendants of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south the Hittites the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. But then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were. In their sight, do you ever get tired of the things that hold you back? Do you ever get tired of the things that obstruct your path, the things that seek to hinder and block you from living and enjoying the abundant life that Jesus not only promised us but died to give us? Do you ever get tired? of those things that resist you those things that constantly push back against you those things that that would try to stand in your way and at times you feel like they are succeeding in standing in your way and and i'm just wondering for how many of you there are here today you're actually tired of the constant battle and resistance that you face in reaching your destiny, in finding your breakthrough, in experiencing the freedom and the life, the abundance, the provision, everything that Jesus promises in his word is ours. Do you ever get tired of feeling like you, you seem to take fewer steps forward than you seem to take backwards? Feeling like the challenges, the obstacles that you face are actually stronger than you are. Because your experience to date has been, no matter how hard I try, I just don't seem to get over that hurdle. No matter how hard I try, I just don't seem to be able to break that bondage. No matter how hard I try, I don't seem to be able to get over that thing that has dogged my life and weighed me down and caused me to stumble so often throughout my journey as a Christian. Do you ever get tired of all of that? I want to encourage you today and say that it's time to face your giant. I want to encourage you today and say it's time to stand up, eyeball whatever it is that is intimidating you, blocking you, resisting you, and it's time to stand up and say, enough is enough. It's time for me to walk over this thing and push into all that Jesus promised me to have. When, when you consider Paul's words in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, that it is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. Why would we spend another minute not enjoying that freedom that he promised is ours? You know, God's people in the Old Testament uh, are a type of our journey today as Christians. I I learned very early in my Christian walk that, that the people of God leaving Egypt is a type of us being forgiven of our sin when we come to Christ and accept and receive what he has accomplished for us on the cross, that, that at that point we are set free from the power of sin. As Egypt released the people of God from the power of their bondage, Jesus at that point released me from the power of sin over my life. As they moved on into the wilderness, it becomes a, a type of our journey into the fullness of what Jesus said is ours. And Canaan, of course, is the fullness. Canaan is not a type of heaven, although I've heard that preached many times. Canaan is a type of us actually stepping into the abundance yeah, that Jesus promised was ours. Well, why is it, do you think, God allows giants to exist in our life? Why can't he just obliterate them? Why, why can't he just crush them? Why can't he just... I mean, I mean he, he, he has no equal. He has no rival. We just sang that this morning. And, and he is the most powerful of all beings that exist or inhabit the universe, why can't he just breathe fire on them? Why can't he just break down their power and, and bring peace to us once and for all from an external perspective? Why, why does God allow them? I honestly believe that the, the, key, the key answer to that question is found in Psalm 105. And I want you to watch this very carefully, but in Psalm 105, verse 16, we read that he, God, "...called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams, his, his destiny, his calling, his promise." They put his feet in fetters and they collared his neck with an iron brace. And they did that until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord, watch this, tested Joseph's character. I'm convinced that's why giants are allowed to exist in our life. is because Jesus, as Arden Burrell used to say many years ago, is more interested in getting heaven into you than he is in getting you into heaven. He's more interested in transforming our inner life, our inner world, our inner attitudes, our inner convictions and values to be in alignment with his convictions and his values and his nature and his his ways, his his life. He's he's more interested in getting Jesus into us than he is in actually getting us into heaven when we die. And for too long, the church preached that The wilderness was like our struggling journey till Jesus comes or until we die and go to heaven and Canaan is heaven. But in the meantime, we just have to struggle in the wilderness. That is not the truth. We are actually called to go through the wilderness and the wilderness is a place where we grow in certain areas of our life. But then we break through, take down the giants that block us from taking our promise and we begin to live the life that Christ died to give us here and now. But he says here that until... The time came to fulfill his dreams. In the meantime, until those dreams were fulfilled, the Lord tested Joseph's character. After he tested Joseph's character, we read then. Then what? Well, if you read the context, it's after Joseph passed the test. After Joseph passed the test, the attitude test, Pharaoh sent for him and did what? Set him free. What, what is it that Christ died to give us? Freedom. freedom. It's, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So when we face a giant, God has allowed those things there to make us stronger. The devil has them there to crush us. But God allows them to stay so that we grow and we become stronger in our faith, in our trust in God, in our walk with him, so that we can face whatever obstacle comes our way, knowing that greater is he who is in us, that's Jesus. Than he who is in the world opposing and resisting us. What are some of the giants we might face today? Giants that hinder our freedom, but if they are handled biblically with the help of the Holy Spirit, they'll strengthen our soul and our inner resolve to push forward. I I think the most obvious giant in the church today, of course, is sin. There is so much compromise in the body of Christ today. It's frightening. So much compromise in morals and standards and biblical values. There is so much compromise. We have truly become people who are in church rather than people who are in Christ. We live the way we want to live, but come to church looking for Jesus to bless us, to heal us, to deliver us, to set us free. And we live with so much compromise today. It frightens me the amount of the younger generation today that are just sleeping together. Young people that will shack up and try before they buy. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. But yet they'll come to church and raise their hands in worship. But there is so much compromise. It's a giant that will eventually bring pain into your life. But I think one of the most obvious giants that Christians face today is the giant of sin. Now, hear me out. Sin, S-I-N, is anything that you engage in, in a reasonably regular basis, that is contrary to God's word. Anything that we engage in, anything that we do, our behavior, our conduct, our attitudes, our, our processes of living, anything that is contrary to God's word is, is sin. Lying. Well, it's only just a little white lie. Uh, It's still sin. Sin is sin. In the eyes of God and in the eyes of his Word. sin is sin. Cheating, stealing, embezzling, hateful anger, revenge, sexual immorality, selfishness, greed. It's anything in our life that we engage in, in a reasonably regular basis that is contrary to God's Word. Now, I, I say reasonably regular because even though our stumblings and our our trip-ups and our mishaps and our mistakes are still sin, it's not something that's dominating our life. It's not something that is dictating our behavior. We can all stumble and fall. Sure, it's sin, and we need to deal with it appropriately. But I'm talking about people who engage in a particular lifestyle and in things that are contrary to what God's Word teaches us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32, Paul says, therefore, put away lying. Take it off. In other words, stop doing it. Become honest. Become truthful. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Who who is your neighbor? It's not just the people you do church with. Let me tell you who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is anybody we share the planet with. People that are uh, around us every day, whether they're our next door neighbor or whether they're in the street when we're, when we're driving, walking, whether we are in the shopping center. They are people who we share oxygen with. That is who our neighbor is. Our, our neighbor is anybody that we come in contact with at any time in our, in our life. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're all members of the human race. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. You see, following Jesus brings about change in our life, change in our attitude. And I'm telling you something, sin is a giant that will sabotage and rob you of your destiny if we don't deal with it correctly. Let him labor who stole before. Work with your hands what is good, that you may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Remember Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How you talk, how you react, how you respond is really what you're like. You say, oh, I'm not really like that. I just said it. I didn't mean it. But Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I spew venom out of my mouth at any point in time, I've walked with the Lord long enough to know that's inside of me. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, out of what's inside of you, the mouth speaks. It comes out of you. So we need to then get before God and say, God, that, that was ungodly what I just did. That was ungodly what I said. It wasn't wholesome. It wasn't edifying. It wasn't encouraging. It wasn't uplifting. Jesus, I need you to help me to cleanse my inner man so that I can, I can stand before you clean in my spirit, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit, a heart that's in line With you, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the redemption, the day of redemption. Watch this verse 31 Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. What, What is malice? Malice is the desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on someone else, it's revenge. It's rife in the house house of God. And I think sin, anything that is contrary to God's word that is in our life that we are engaging in on a reasonably regular basis is is a giant that will rob us of our destiny. It will steal us of the promises of God and it will stop us from becoming all that Jesus has called us to become. You know, some things, and I've watched this over the years, some things become so watered down. We, we, We become... To, we come to a place where we see so many things as small and insignificant. No big issue that does, does no harm. You know, the company's got a lot of these. They won't miss a few. This business is pretty wealthy. It's got a lot, of, a lot of contracts at the moment. It's still well. And I've worked with them for a long time. And there's a ton of this stuff. They won't miss a few for a few personal things. You, you know, it's, it's wrong. You, you can't escape from that. Cheating a little on our tax return. Well, it's no big deal. Yes, it is. If you want to live like Jesus, if you want to live following him and representing him and being free, let me, let me tell you something. It's these little things that will mess your life up. When, when the space shuttle Challenger... Who remembers that? January 1986. We had just arrived in Dubbo. It was our first ministry posting, and we were watching it on the TV in horror as that school teacher was a part of the crew that they took off and the whole thing just exploded and disintegrated in midair. Everybody was horrified. The cause of that was a little o ring that leaked a little bit of fuel, just a little bit. A little bit's not going to hurt, but it was that little tiny thing. In that huge, big machine that caused its total destruction. It's the same in our Christian walk. You know, a hotel this size isn't going to miss one towel. I reckon I'm stepping on some toes right now. You thought I was going to touch the big ones, didn't you? It's wrong. It's sin. And we say, oh, you're being too hard. Well, no, I'm not. Paul is. Because Paul says, "Therefore, put away. Don't do this anymore. Lying, stealing, cheating, anger, malice. I'm not being too hard. The Bible's being too hard. You know. Oh, look at that. They've given me too much change in the checkout. Well, it's not my problem. It's theirs, isn't it? Oh, I'm the winner. In you know, it's those little things." In our life. You know, I'm nice to most people. I only hate a few. <laughs> we, we balance, don't we? We kind of weigh one up. You know, just because I hate on oh, that one and that one. Oh, and there's that one over. Oh, I forgot about you too. Yeah, you're on the list. and you know. But everybody else I love and I'm nice to and I'm kind to and I'm Christ-like to. But just when I'm with you, I just, you know, it's wrong. It's, it's sin. You know, we can be assured that what we allow in our behavior regardless of how small, the compromises that we continually make, sin is anything that we would regularly engage in that is contrary to God's word. Those things will come back and bring a harvest of pain in your life and will eventually rule your inner world. That's what the Bible teaches. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You know, Watch this. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. It's up on the screen. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Keep that up there for me, Nelson. The little foxes, for our vines have tender grapes. Who is the vine? Who is the branch? Do the grapes grow on the vine or the branch? The branch. The fruit in our life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that that reflects God in us, the fruit, it's tender. And it's the little foxes. It's the little things that will get in and will ruin the tender fruit that the Holy Spirit is like trying to gently bring out in in our life. We are the branches. It's those little things that will ruin us. I remember a pastor friend telling me a story. He went to the local swimming pool with another pastor friend and and they got to the turnstile and it was two bucks to get in and he pulls out his $2 coin and he's about to put his $2 coin in the turnstile when the other pastor friend said, hey, well, well, don't put it in there. He said, look, the gate's a little bit open. He said, don't pay, we just go in. And this pastor friend said to his pastor friend, are you serious? He said, yeah, save you two bucks, buy a bag of chips with it. He said, you would sell your integrity, for $2. So it's only $2. It's the local swimming pool. Everybody does it. Yeah, everybody does. But we're called to not be like everybody. Come out from among them and be separate. Be different. Let your light shine before men. It's the little things. It's the little things that when we engage in them long enough, they will, what you tolerate in your life will eventually come back and rule your inner world. And what rules your inner world will dictate the fruit that happens in your outer world. Because whatever a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Any sin you engage in will eventually rule you. It says here, don't you realize that you become the slave? of whatever or whoever it is you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Do it often enough, and it will become a giant in your life. Whatever it might be, do it often enough. Now now listen to me. The, The key to taking down the giant of sin is repentance. It's doing an about face. It's it's saying, God, I'm I'm walking this way. I'm doing, and I know it's wrong, God. I'm. I realize I've just heard Pastor Marty speak and I feel convicted. And yeah, I've been doing that. And yes, I've been explaining it away as as no big issue. Everybody does it. Uh, You know, it really hasn't been a problem in the past. But hey, I just realise it contradicts your word because I'm called by your word to put that stuff away and stop doing that no matter how big or how small, because it's the little things in my life that will actually ruin the fruit that you're trying to produce in my life. God, I've had enough. I'm drawing a line thus far, no further. I'm not only going to stop God, but I'm turning around. I'm now, I'm now going to behave this way. I'm now going to walk this way. I'm now going to go back and do what is right and get things what is right. But, let, but understand this. Repentance is not enough. Repentance is not enough to take down the giant. It's the key. It's the starting point to taking down the giant. The challenge of taking down the giant of sin is accountability. It's having someone in your life that will call you to account. Hey, you said you weren't going to do that anymore and there you are doing it. It's the faithful wounds of a friend is what it is. And so the challenge to take down the thing that, that you have, have played with, the thing that you have messed with, the thing that you have dabbled in, the thing that you have meddled in, whatever it is, it's the compromise, anything that's... that's contrary to God's word, you've drawn a line in the sand, yet you repented. You're going back to that. Yeah, you're right. You you know, call me to account. And and how do I know that that repentance is not enough? Because a lot of us will just go, yeah, God, I'm sorry I did that. I won't do it anymore. And then two minutes later, we're doing it again. And and I've been on that merry-go-round, just like I know many of you have. So repentance doesn't do it by itself. Without accountability. And I can show you from the Bible why accountability and where accountability is critical for us to actually get a breakthrough. It's in James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your sin to God. To each other. Confess your sin to each other. Watch this. And pray for each other so that you may be set free. How do you take down A giant is anything that's blocking you, hindering you, holding you back, binding you up, stopping you from becoming all God wants you to become. Some of you think, well, you know, gee, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as as the bloke sitting next to me. I'm I'm just, I mean, this is real. But are you not getting your breakthrough? It could just be that it's that stuff, that little, that's the O-ring that's leaking a little bit of fuel in your life that's about to explode and you don't know when it's going to explode. Let me tell you something. The key to taking that thing down is thus far, no further, I'm going to stop. George I want you to call me to account on this it's accountability confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed so that you might be set free from whatever that is because the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results we only know that bit because we go oh I'm sick come and pray for me you're a righteous man your earnest prayer will, will heal me no no that's not the context the context is call me to account Because I've decided not to engage in... Am I still on? I've decided not to engage in this anymore. And I want to make sure I keep walking a line of righteous living. And I need you to know I've stuffed up today. I've missed it. I repented. But I've gone back. I want you to pray with me. And that prayer from that righteous, earnest friend will produce greater levels of power for you to overcome tomorrow. You see that's that's what that verse is all about. Having initially dealt with the sin problem, the people of God, who are a type of us, went off into the wilderness and the next giant they faced will be the same giant that you will face when you deal with sin. And that will be the giant of a lack of provision. That's a big giant in the church today. That's a huge giant in the church today. God isn't going to give you what you need. I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands because I, I don't know. I mean, I know there's promises in the word and and, and look, I've repented. And you know, I've got someone discipling me and I've got some checks and balances in my life. And I'm dealing with that giant called sin that so often comes to tear me down and pull me back and, and hold me under and stop me from rising up. I've, I've dealt with it, but I'm, I'm not so sure that that lifestyle that was actually providing things on the side for me, uh, I don't know that God's going to be able to come through. And, and, you know, we can find ourselves facing a very, very big giant of a lack of provision, speaking in our ears, sitting on our shoulders, saying, God, God is not really going to be able to do you what he said he's going to do for you. You know, the Lord had delivered Israel from Egypt, but led them into a wilderness, a, a place of barrenness and empty, emptiness. But it was a place where the Lord said, now watch me look after you. Now, watch me look after you. Do you believe I can? Is what he was saying to them. Do you believe I can give you what you need when you need it? Do you believe that I will provide for you everything that you need between here and the promises that I've given you? Do you believe I can sustain you where there is no life, where there is no hope, where there is no future, where where people die on a daily basis because they go into the wilderness unprepared, unequipped, I'm leading you into this place. Do you believe I'm going to give you what you need when you actually need it? And of course, they didn't believe and many of them sabotaged their destiny and their future in the wilderness. Moses, you have brought us out here to die. Joshua, you brought us out here to die. Why can't we go back to the garlics, leeks, and onions? Man, they must have had bad breath back then. Because that's what they longed for. The garlic, the leeks. The, yeah, I know we were in slavery. But hey, you know, we had provision back there. We had things. And I was like, come on, we've been out here 24 hours now. And there's no breakfast. There's no lunch. There's no dinner. There's not even any water. Moses, come on. And God is saying, do you believe? And they faced a giant called a lack of Provision. And because they didn't believe, they sabotaged their future. The key to overcoming the giant of a lack of provision, and I touched on this a little last Sunday in my, in my message, the key to overcoming the giant of a lack of provision is rising to a new level of trust. That's the key. And let me tell you something. Job, Job found that. Job made that decision. Job came to a place. Job thought he was going to die. Job thought it was history for him. He thought it was over. He thought everything he had was gone. It was never coming back. Now he's sick. Now he's dying. His friends are trying to tell him to just get your affairs in order because you're not going to make it. And Job came to a place where he said in Job chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, Job clearly came to that point where he thought he wasn't going to survive. And he had determined in his mind that even if I die, I'm still going to trust him. I'm going to die trusting him because he's a good God and he only ever does good. And I I believe he's a good God. And if I die, there's a bigger purpose behind my death and I'm just going to trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's the key to overcoming the giant of a lack of provision is determining, I'm going to go to a whole new level of trust. This is scary. This is hard. This is difficult. I'm going to a whole new level of trust and I'm going to hang in there. But Going to a whole new level of trust is only half of it. The challenge is patience. (laughs) That's the challenge. You see, when God thinks we need something isn't necessarily when we think we need something. We can behave like spoilt brats so often. Want it and I want it now. Give it to me now. And you know, I've waited days for this and I want it now and I need it now and now I'm just not happy and I won't be happy until I get it we we can behave so so badly but how many of you know he will provide our every need according to his riches in glory he will provide our every need according do not fear him who kills the body fear him who kills the soul so death sometimes could be part of the process that we have to face and go through that journey and we get to the other side, we have to come to that place that he will provide what I need when I need it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time, yet we so often try and do it for him. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I don't have a clue half the time what God's trying to produce in my life. All I need to do is adopt the attitude and go, well, God's caused this. God's allowed this. For some reason, it's happening. He hasn't crushed this. He hasn't stopped this. He hasn't blocked this. I'm in the middle of this storm. He's not getting me out of this storm. So therefore, I'm just going to trust him, even if I die in the process. That's how we overcome the giant of a lack of provision. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Uh, you know, one of the next giants you'll face is intimidation and fear, just like the spies. So we face the giant of sin, deal with the giant of sin. Then we have to deal with the giant of a lack of provision. But the next giant you'll face dealing with the lack of provision, you're trusting him enough to get you to the promise, to get you to the fulfillment of your calling, whatever that might look like. The next thing you'll face is intimidation and fear. In Numbers thirteen thirty-one, we read it earlier. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we I Can't do it. It's beyond my ability. I'm not ready. I need more time to prepare. I, I, I'm just not, I'm not prepared for this and I, I'm just not ready for this. And I, I didn't think this was going to happen now. And it's, it's like intimidation and fear begins to hold us back and we go, I really would like to take that opportunity, but but I'm frightened that I'm going to mess it up. And if I mess it up, I'm going to look like a fool and I, I'm going to just be caught with my pants on the ground and I'm going to be embarrassed and it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we kind of just face and wrestle this intimidation and this fear in our life. And so often God is going, if you will just step out and trust me i will cause you to do things that you didn't imagine you could do because it's my spirit in you that does it but it's that whole thing of intimidation and fear and it's a giant that the devil pushes in our direction but it's a giant that god allows to be there for us because he wants us to overcome it he wants us to rise above our fear who has a fear of spiders I've got a spider here in a jar and I want you to come and sit with me on the platform and I'm, going to, and I'm going to get it to crawl up your arm. It's the only way to overcome it. No, I'm only kidding. You know, the key to defeating the giant of intimidation is, and fear is rising to a new level of faith. We overcome a lack of provision by rising to a new level of trust. But overcoming the, the uh, fear and intimidation of stepping out and doing what, what God has called us to do is rising to a new level of faith. How do we rise to a new level of faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us clearly faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Get into the Word. Meditate on the Word. Feed on the Word. You say, oh, I just I uh, why, why aren't I getting the breakthrough? Maybe your faith level's too low. And the way to get your faith tank filled up is getting into the Word because Jesus said His Word produces faith in your life. That's the key to overcoming it. The challenge, however, is believing. So the key is rising to a new level of faith, but the challenge in doing that is believing. We're like the person, Jesus said, do you believe I can do this? And they said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because every one of us struggle with that sense of, you know, I know God said it, but will he? You know, I know know God heals, but will he heal me? I know God restores, but will he restore my situation? the, the, The challenge in rising to a new level of faith is actually determining to believe. I'm going to believe what God says. I'm going to, you know, trust. And when you come to that point where faith rises in your heart because you read a promise in the Word of God and then you rise to the challenge and you decide to believe it, that's when you step out and you take a risk. Listen to me. Peter, the apostle, did not walk on water. You say, hey, hang on a minute. I've read that in one of the Gospels. He did. Jesus has come and he got out of the boat and he walked on water. No, he didn't walk on water. He walked on the Word of Jesus come. That's what he walked on. If Jesus had not said, come, he would have gone straight to the bottom. But he stepped out on the word of God. There was a new level of faith in his life. And he stepped out and he trusted and he got his eyes fixed on Jesus and it's working. He's walking on the word of God. And that's the only sure thing we can walk on is the word of God. And so he's pushing through and and then he takes his eyes off Jesus. And then the challenge of believing starts to come across his path and He starts to sink and Jesus, of course, rescues him, which leads us to the next giant. And I'm going to close with this one and I may continue this next Sunday. But the next giant that shipwrecks the faith of so many Christians. Listen to me. It's the giant of unprocessed failure. It tears down so many Christians today. The giant of unprocessed failure. If we experience failure... And then fail to process it in a godly and a biblical manner. We begin to do life from a place of one or two positions a place of hurt or a place of disappointment. If the failure that we experience is on the part of someone else, someone failing to meet our expectations someone failing to fulfill a promise, someone failing to do what we thought they'd do or hope they'd do. If the failure is on the part of someone else, if we don't process that in a biblical and a godly manner, we start doing life from a posture of hurt. And you can't live life following Jesus from a position of hurt. We have to process failure that somebody else perhaps has brought into our life by by processing it biblically, prayerfully, with forgiveness and letting go and trusting God. If the failure is us not meeting our own expectations, then we will do life from a posture of disappointment. And disappointment is one of the most crippling emotions that you could live with. Because disappointment will stop you stepping out again. And if you stop stepping out again, you might as well just warm a pew and hope for Jesus to come. We are called to take down our giants. We are called to overcome our giants. The giant of unbreakable habits. So much of that in the church today that we try and overcome, we don't overcome, but I'm going to pull up the pin here right now. Pull out the pin, put back the pin, put the pin back in. I suppose it is a bit of a hand grenade, isn't it? We've got to overcome. We've got to face our giants. We've got to stand up and eyeball our giants. Say, thus far, no further. Greater is he who is in me. We've got to do what David did with Goliath. We've just got to look at him and say, "I, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He is my help. He is my strength. He is where my support comes from. We've got to face these things with God at our side, our ever-present help in time of trouble. What is your giant today? What is it that's holding you back? It's time to face your giant and it's time to overcome. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray today that your word would penetrate the soil of our heart. Your word would penetrate the soil of our inner world. And Lord, I pray that your word would germinate in a way that it just produces a whole new level of trust and faith in you and, a whole new understanding of our relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that today a new sense of strength, determination would rise in our heart and we would face those things that we are so tired of holding us back. And I pray today, Lord, that people will go out of here determined again to regularly get into your word. Regularly meditate on the promises of God. Regularly keep their eyes fixed on you. And I pray, Lord, we all come to that place like Job where we say, though it doesn't happen when I want it to happen, though the breakthrough doesn't come, I I pray, Lord, that like Joseph, I will see it as the testing of my inner world. And when I pass the test, the circumstances will set me free.